Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leap behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations. With audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about soul-stealing secrets and malevolent motorists. Also, both of tonight's tales are Chilling Tales exclusives, meaning you won't have heard them anywhere else. I'm your host for the evening, Otis Jiry, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, now in its ninth season, standing in for my very good friend Steve Taylor. And tonight, I'll continue to gladly be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Lucretia Vestea and Mark Towes, our voice talents, Paul J. McSorley, Melissa Medina, Melissa Exelberth, and Lucas Webley. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Lucretia Vestea and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights voice talents Paul J. McSorley, Melissa Medina, and Melissa Exelberth. In it, we'll meet a couple whose marriage has withstood the test of time. But time can be a cruel mistress, and no marriage is perfect. Right? Without further ado... I present to you, Ellie and Elmer. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. She was on her knees with her right ear glued to the floor. Ellie? Shh. She shushed him. It's been over 30 years since she last welcomed him home with her buttocks up in the air. But back then, the context was a completely different one. Ellie, what are you doing? She shushed him again with a hiss as an undertone. Elmer placed the paper bag containing their freshly baked bread on the dust-collecting sofa they kept in the hallway. He had wanted to get rid of the old thing ages ago, but his wife didn't let him. It was a wedding present from her mother. He slowly approached the living room where his wife was bent and crumbled, looking like she spontaneously wanted to pray but instead got a cramp. The parquet creaked mildly under his careful steps. Am I missing something? Get down here. Elmer sighed. Neither his age nor his body mass would appreciate what he was about to do. He knelt down next to his wife and tried lowering his face to hers to see her better. Lower? Nope. Her hair wasn't stuck in between the floorboards. He ran out of ideas. Elmer sighed again as his hands eased the side of his head to the cold hardwood. Ellie's face, pale as a ghost, didn't even begin to cover it. Do you hear it? She hadn't whispered to him in years. Last time she whispered to him was almost a decade prior, when their oldest son came to visit in the middle of the night, and Ellie thought that somebody broke into their house. He liked hearing her whisper. It was a nice change from the constant nagging and complaining. Hear what? There might have been a bug stuck under there somewhere, but Elmer had a hunch his wife was whispering about something else. There was panic in her freckled hands, panic in her dilated pupils. My name. Can't you hear it? It's calling my name. At first I wasn't sure, but now I'm sure. Can't you hear it? Listen closely. Elmer stared at his white-haired spouse dumbfounded. Unless Ellie's name was deaf static... He was quite sure he couldn't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Shh. Listen. Listen. Nothing. Did you hear it? Hear what? Eliza. It's echoey. Eliza. Like from the bottom of a well. Elmer's hands helped his torso up again. I don't hear anything. With close to inhumane effort, the old man got up and offered a helping hand to his life partner. Eliza. Ellie, I got the bread. We can have breakfast now. There's something calling your wife from under the floor, and all you can think about is stuffing your fat gut. So much for the whispering. 
It was nice while it lasted, Elmer thought. I'll go set the table. He loved her, he really did. But sometimes he had these... suspicions. Elmer was already in the kitchen when Ellie called him back in the living room to give her a hand with getting up. The following morning, he was welcomed home, not by one, but two backsides staring at him from the living room floor. Elmer sighed. The torso attached to the butt, dressed in black, rose to reveal a head. Good afternoon, Father Jonathan. Ah, Elmer, good afternoon. Shh. Ellie shushed both of them. Father Jonathan looked at her for a second and then back at Elmer, pressing his lips into a line of mild desperation. Elmer entered his living room with the same caution as the day before. His wife spoke to him from foot level. They're gone today. Not even I can hear them. Ellie sat upright and looked the priest dead in the eye. I think they're afraid of you. The priest shrugged. Elmer's frame got in between, offering each of them a helping hand. Ellie hesitated. I wish they would say something while you're here, Father. Elmer, godless as he is, can't hear them, but I was sure you would. The priest and Elmer exchanged a worried glance. Ellie got to her feet, too, and caught a glimpse of that exchange. I'm not crazy, Father. Nobody said you are, child. Elmer found that sentence quite oxymoronic. The devil works in mysterious ways. However, we must not exclude the possibility of interpretation. It called me by my name. Father Jonathan reached a conclusion based on Elmer's facial expressions. I shall bless this room for your peace of mind, child. The house, Father. Please bless the whole house. Have you heard it anywhere else? No, just here, but please bless the whole house. Elmer left the room. Father Jonathan followed him in the hallway to the couch where he left his cross in holy water, where Ellie's hearing range couldn't reach them. She's old Elmer. Bear with her. I am, Father. Elmer looked over the priest's shoulder at his wife, who dropped her knees and glued her ear to the floor again. Always have, always will. Catherine called this morning. Elmer frowned and let his knife and fork drop on his half-empty plate. And you didn't call me why? You were out to buy bread. I doubt she called that early. Ellie gave him an annoyed glance. She always made that face on the few occasions Elmer would raise his voice at her. I was out in the garage. You should have called me. I haven't spoken to her in two weeks. She'll call again. Elmer and Ellie had three children. Eric, Edward, and the apple of Elmer's eyes, Catherine. Catherine was supposed to be named Eleanor, but Eleanor was the name of Elmer's most hated teacher back in school. He had to fight Ellie on that one. Fine, then, Ellie had said. You name her if you're so good at this all of a sudden. And as Elmer stared at the wrinkled little face of the cooing bundle in his arms, he decided, Catherine, this is Daddy's little Kathy. Yes, she is. All three children grew up to be fine adults. Eric went to law school and became a very renowned lawyer. Edward was offered a job at a startup firm which grew rather quickly, placing him in a high-up position, despite him never going to university. And Catherine went to med school, but dropped out after two years to become a nurse. Ellie was furious with her, not Elmer. Elmer knew why his baby girl decided against med school even though medicine and helping others had always been her biggest passion. I can't do it, Daddy.
Kathy cried to him over the phone. They're, they're so cold. Whenever an operation is a failure, they go back to the patient's family and... Lord, they're so cold. I can't be that cold, Daddy. I, I don't want to be that cold. There's so much responsibility. Someone's life in your hands. I, I can't do it. I'm such a lousy coward. No, baby. Elmer assured her. Everybody I know is a bigger coward than you. You just have a heart of gold. And the world is toughest on people with hearts of gold. Elmer? Ellie barely touched her dinner, but as always, she waited for him to notice and ask what's wrong rather than simply request something else to eat. Not today, Elmer thought. Today he had had a chance to speak to his most precious child, but his wife was too comfortable to go get him on the phone. He felt like he had the right to be a little upset with her. Elmer, I'm talking to you. What is it? Ellie played the puppy eye card. I'm sorry if you don't like the Brussels sprouts, but we had to cook them today or they would have gone bad. It's not the food, Elmer. Then what? Ellie was trembling. I heard it again today. A cold shiver ran down Elmer's spine. Heard what? The voice. Ellie murmured. In the living room, underneath the floorboards, it's back. Her eyes were glistening. They glistened like that when they found out they were expecting their third child and Ellie wanted to get rid of it. They glistened like that when Ellie asked Elmer to apply for a bank loan to send their oldest son to college. She was reaching out for him. She needed him. An old, drained, distressed old woman reaching out for her rock. Father Jonathan blessed the entire house just last week. It's still here, Elmer. I heard it again today, clearer than ever. You want me to go check again? No, you won't hear it. Nobody will. It's here for me. Her lower lip began to vibrate. I'm going to die, Elmer. Elmer immediately got out of his chair and went to hold his wife. Ellie was sobbing against the right strap of his suspenders, mumbling something about sorrow and not wanting to go. For her sake, Elmer's composure hardened to iron. You're not going to die, Ellie. Don't you remember what the doctor said last month? He said you're as healthy as can be and that unless fate plays dirty, you'll live to see your grandchildren reach adulthood. Our oldest grandchild just turned eight, dear. So there's nothing for you to worry about. Ellie was holding on to her husband with such force he would have lost his balance if he were less heavy. No, it's coming for me. It's... Look at me, Elmer. Elmer's gaze met Ellie's blurred orbs. It said I must confess before I go. Elmer's blood ran cold. Having a voice tell his wife she must confess before she goes was on a completely different word palette than Eliza was. Who did? The voice, Elmer. It said I must confess. He knelt down next to her, her hands in his. Ellie, there is no voice. Ellie pulled her hands out of Elmer's and turned to her untouched dinner again. Honey, I think you need help. And why the hell do you think I'm telling all of this to you for? Not from me, Ellie. From a professional. We can schedule an appointment with a professional. Maybe Kathy knows somebody. No! Ellie grabbed the shoulders of her kneeling husband with crumbling strength. 
Don't you dare mention any of this to Catherine. If you must, ask Eric or Edward if they have connections, but don't under any circumstances mention any of this to Catherine. Catherine mustn't know. All right. Catherine won't know. Her grip sweetened, and she brought her right palm to her husband's soft cheek. Do you want me to call Father Jonathan again? No, it's not him I need to confess to. Elmer felt cold at the pits of his arms. Elmer? Yes. Ellie opened her mouth and closed it again. You can trust me, Ellie. You can tell me anything. You know that. Her chair creaked as she backed away from the table and got up. I'm going to bed. I'm tired. Ellie locked herself in the bedroom, making it clear for Elmer that he had to spend the night in the living room. Whether Ellie was sleeping or not, Elmer knew better than to bother her. He loved her. He really did. Sometimes, however, he simply had these suspicions that were eating away at him. Elmer woke up the following morning to find that the bedroom was empty. He was always the first one to wake up. His wife wasn't in the kitchen either. Elmer didn't even snap his suspenders over his shoulders in his hurry to go outside and call for Ellie. She was at the back gate, the gate they only used when they were going to the baker's. The walk was shorter that way. Where were you? The paper bag she was holding made it obvious. I want to make breakfast today. The old man watched as his wife was in no hurry to get back inside the house. Ellie was a night person. He, on the other hand, was a morning person. Breakfast was his duty, whereas dinner was hers. It's been like that for the past four decades of their marriage, like those cute yet deadly painful routines old couples had. Elmer knew breakfast was his job, and seeing Ellie do it instead felt foreign and unpleasant. He followed his wife inside and stopped in the kitchen doorway. The sizzle of oil was in perfect harmony with Ellie scrambling eggs and the happy birdies outside. She was making French toast. He could tell, even with her back to him. Bacon and spring onions were on the table, just waiting to be chopped. Elmer entered the kitchen and grabbed the knife nearest to him. No! Ellie had her arm around the bacon and spring onions in a matter of seconds. I'll do it! He froze. Ellie looked like she just jumped in front of a bullet to protect her children. She was even rigid with determination and everything. Ellie, are you all right? Elmer put the knife down cautiously. She avoided his gaze. I want to do it. I need something to do. Go read the paper in your lazy boy or something. I'll call you when it's ready. Elmer's hand met Ellie's on the knife. Put it down, love. Ellie gasped softly. He rarely called her love, but whenever he did, her heart would sigh, I do, over and over again. She put the knife down. Look at me. She hesitated. Elmer was well accustomed to her dramatic outbursts, but this, this was different. What's wrong? Ellie opened her mouth and closed it right back, just like the night before. Come on, Eliza, talk to me. Her chin was trembling. I can't help if you don't speak. She always needed somewhere between three to five reassurances before she would talk. Sometimes she needed to cry for a good half an hour before she would manage to upright herself enough to speak. Some say you can spend a lifetime alongside a person and never get to know them. But Elmer knew his wife. Oh, he knew his wife really, really well. 
and despite all her flaws, he really loved her. But he really had some suspicions. I... Elmer didn't rush her. He held her hand to his chest and looked at her with all the understanding in the world. I heard it again. He wouldn't have asked if she hadn't paused. Hear what, honey? The voices calling me. From the living room? Ellie shook her head as salt water was smudging her sight. Bedroom. Elmer felt cold in the pits of his arms again. When? This morning I woke up at 6 a.m. and it, it was faint. I got closer and there it was again. The smell of burnt French toast was making Elmer nauseous. Eliza. The floor? Yes. He had to hold her by the elbows so she wouldn't lose balance. Her whimpers were heartbreaking. Elmer, you have to believe me. The bread turned to charcoal. Breakfast was ruined. I believe you, honey, but also believe you need professional help. Ellie shook her head again. It's not help I need. She straightened her frame and swallowed her sobs. I need to confess. She took her arms out of her husband's grip. They tell me I need to confess. Confess to what, honey? The phone rang and Ellie took that as her cue to leave. She stormed out of the kitchen and into the hallway with the agility of a 20-year-old. Elmer got to the stove and turned the thing off before it would burn their entire house down. To his delight, he could hear his wife talking to their daughter. He needed to hear Catherine's voice too, but knew that, this time, his wife needed her more than he did. When they moved in together, the couple established some house rules. One, no pets, ever. Two, one is just as busy as the other, so the house chores have to be shared equally. Three, two meals a day is more than enough. And four, no matter how bad things get, they are not allowed to keep secrets from each other. This last rule was Elmer's favorite thing about being married to Ellie. When Ellie was young, she was the embodiment of poise. He knew it wouldn't be easy, but he had made up his mind the very second he laid eyes on her. It took him no less than eight months to convince her to go out with him, and when she finally did, Elmer was so nervous he got sick, and they had to cut their date short by three hours. He was head over heels for her. Always had been. He regretted nothing. Even so, sometimes... He had these suspicions. Ellie had been a sweetheart all week. She made both breakfast and dinner, was using words such as please and thank you again, and to Elmer's mind-numbing surprise, she was cuddling up to him in her sleep. Bedtime was the only time she would enter the bedroom, and whenever she did, she would cling to Elmer like her life depended on it. Entering the living room was out of the question. Therefore, when it came to the house chores, she delightedly accepted her husband's help. Elmer was to take care of the living room and bedroom. All other rooms in the house were in her care, including the attic, which she always hated. Two weeks passed in which Ellie was distracting herself with housework. Other than the fact that she was deliberately avoiding the living room and bedroom, life was turning back to normal. Until one day, Ellie ran sobbing out of the house directly in her husband's arms who was reading the newspaper in the garden. He didn't even ask. He just cursed under his breath and waited for his wife to pull herself together and tell him where the voices came from this time. The attic, Elmer. 
He felt so sorry for her. The poor thing was shaking from head to toe, and her sobs were excruciating. They're in the attic. How, Elmer? And why? The attic is over the kitchen. The voices are over my kitchen, Elmer. They've reached the kitchen. Elmer bit his lip. He didn't speak because he knew he would break down alongside her. All he could do was hold her as tightly as possible and rock their bodies gently until she calmed down. What are they saying? Ellie's fingernails dug into the front of his shirt. That I must confess. Confess to what, Ellie? What's weighing you down, honey? I'm so confused. Ellie pushed his chest away gently. She looked up at him, tears rolling down her face. Come on, Elmer said. Let's go inside. I'll make tea and we can... No. Ellie wiped her nose with the sleeve of her blouse. I don't want to go back in the house right now. All right, stay here. I'll go get blankets and put the kettle on the stove. No. She inhaled twice and then looked him dead in the eye. Something big was coming. Elmer could feel it. You know, Mother never approved of us, of our marriage. Yes, I know. She always said I have to be smart. You already know what my father did. He took everything when he left us. And Mother always said I must trust no man. Ever. Elmer's forehead felt hot. It's her fault. She said I need to save money. She said saving money behind the man's back is always a good idea, regardless of how things turn out. She made me think that you would one day just get up and leave me and the kids behind, or that if you don't end up being a good husband, I must take the kids and leave you. And did you reach a verdict yet? Do I make a good husband, or are you still putting money aside just in case? Ellie lowered her head in shame. How much? She was crumbling under his stare. Eliza, how much? Last time I counted, somewhere around 90,000. When was the last time you counted? Two years ago, when you and Catherine went to... Two years ago? We've been married for 39 years. She started sobbing again. Elmer's tone was calm, but deep down, he was boiling with rage. Throughout our married life, we had two loans from the bank, Eliza. The first, when we bought the house, and the second, when our oldest went to college. I paid off both of them, all by myself. Now you're telling me that as I was working my ass off to provide for our family, you were putting a fortune together, just in case you decided you don't like me? It's not like that. Then what is it like? Tell me. Your salary was higher than mine. Elmer's mind, heart, and body went numb. Not by a lot, Ellie, and we both know that. Ellie regretted that last sentence of hers, and she would regret it for the rest of her days. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Elmer. Forgive me. It's all in your mother's couch, isn't it? Yes, it's all there. Take it, Elmer. You can have it all. Just please forgive me. There was nothing pretty about watching the love of his life cry. Ellie went through enough the past few weeks, and having her husband angry with her wouldn't soothe things in the least. Elmer was already looking for excuses in his mind to convince himself that Ellie was indeed an angel, but with a demonic mother. Tell me something, Eliza. Would you have ever told me about the money if the voices didn't tell you to confess? 
She hesitated. Yes, I would have, eventually. Elmer inhaled deeply and exhaled steam. Apparently, he didn't know his wife as well as he thought he did, but he knew enough to tell when she was lying. Never in a million years would he have thought that the dusty old couch they kept in the hallway was an undercover deposit box. But he wanted to believe her so badly. He wanted to believe that she was sorry. He wanted to believe that she would have eventually told him why she didn't want to throw the couch away. But his heart was just as smart as the rest of him. If it weren't for the voices, Ellie would have never told him about the money. Where did you put the Johnny Walker? In the coffee cupboard behind the paper bag on the left. Good. I need a drink. Of course, honey. I'll get the... Alone. Ellie looked like a kicked puppy. I need to be alone. I need to think. Stay here, if you can't go back in the house yet. And just like that, for the very first time in almost half a century, Elmer turned his back on his wife. He had his suspicions all right, but this blow was quite unexpected. The phone rang. Elmer picked up. Donovan Residence. A choir of angels made itself heard from the other end of the line. Hi, Dad. It's me. It was the very first good thing that happened to him those last few weeks. Catherine, my baby girl, it's so good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm good. Really good. I'm happy I finally got you on the phone for once. We haven't talked in ages. You're not the only one who's happy, kiddo. Nostalgia is no joke once your favorite kid moves out of the house. Dad, you're being super unfair to Ed and Eric right now. Oh, come on. As if they didn't always know who my favorite is. Lucky for me, they share my adoration for you, so they never blame me. Catherine laughed and Elmer's heart grew twice its size. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. I just got off the phone with Eric. He won a super difficult case today. He did? That's fantastic. I'm not surprised, though. Your mother and I always struggled to scold him whenever he got into trouble. He always knew how to twist an argument in his favor, even in his kindergarten years. The other end of the line went silent for a couple of seconds. Kathy Cat, you still there, honey? Dad, uh, is someone next to you? Elmer's throat went dry. No, not right now. Why? I, I think I can hear something. Like a man's voice? It's faint, but deep and guttural. The now familiar coldness was gathering in the pits of his arms again. What does it say, honey? Uh, it says... Ellie came out of the kitchen. Something about a confession? Honey, I have to go. I'll call you back tomorrow, alright? Dad, is everything okay? Elmer. Ellie's voice was coming from a broken cavern inside her chest. She was walking slowly towards him, like an infant trying to walk again, after falling for the very first time. Her eyes were purple from all the crying she did. Yes, honey, don't worry. We'll talk tomorrow. Catherine protested, but Elmer placed the receiver down before she finished her sentence. Ellie was shaking as if thousands of volts were going through her. I can't. Truel was connecting her inferior lip to her upper one, like a spider web. I can't take it anymore, Elmer. They've gotten so loud. Elmer, they're everywhere. They're screaming, Elmer. They're so, so loud. Elmer watched her with sad eyes. Eliza, I'm sorry. 
but I really can't hear anything. In her despair, Ellie let out a scream, cupped her hands over her ears, and collapsed on the floor. Elmer rushed to her side and tried embracing her, but she pushed him away. Make it stop. Please make them stop. Why? What are they saying? That I must confess. Elmer was confused. He tried pulling his wife into his arms again, but she grabbed him by the hands, interrupting the hug midway. You already confessed, honey. Ellie pressed her lips together and shook her head forcefully. And it's all right. I understand, and I forgive you. I forgive you, Ellie. I love you. But this has got to stop. We really, really need to get you professional help. I cheated on you. Elmer froze. Ellie put her head in her hands as her violent sobs echoed in the hallway. And there it was. Elmer's suspicions finally confirmed. When? Ellie was rocking back and forth, crying with the passion of an entire chorus in a Greek tragedy. Elmer's patience was over and done. He grabbed his wife by the elbow and forced her to look at him. When, Eliza? He didn't ask with whom. He didn't care whom she cheated with. Knowing how cold his wife was regarding matters of the heart, she would have confessed her infidelity years ago. However, the messy circus she was providing made it clear. There was something bigger than cheating to the story. Elmer felt life itself draining out of him as the seconds passed by. Please, Eliza, please tell me Catherine is my daughter. Ellie didn't answer. She just cried harder and tried taking Elmer back on his hug offer. That was enough of an answer. Elmer got to his feet before she even had a chance to touch him. I confess, I confess, I confess. Please, Elmer, please make them stop. Elmer had to choose one of two options. One, call an ambulance for his deranged wife and tell her that he forgives her so that she gets hospitalized with a little peace of mind. And two, grab his coat and go to the bar down the street where the guests were few and the barkeeper wasn't talkative. Choosing was easy. He could still hear Ellie screaming even as he closed the front gate behind him. I confessed, I confessed, you rotten beings from hell. What else do you want from me? Shut up, shut up, shut up. Elmer got back home around 2 a.m. He wasn't exactly drunk, but he wasn't sober either. The house was quiet, just like he expected it to be. He looked in the kitchen for his wife, even though he was certain she wouldn't be there. He didn't bother checking the bedroom or the living room for that matter. Elmer went straight for the attic. He hesitated in the doorway. Even though he knew she was there, he still needed confirmation before he would proceed any further. Elmer cracked the door open, just enough to let a thread of light in. Ellie's left house slipper was on the floor. Her right one was still attached to her, dangling slightly from the ceiling. Elmer saw enough, so he shut the door. He had to wait for the alcohol to wear off before he would enter the attic again, otherwise Ellie wouldn't be the only mess that had to be cleaned up. He had to call so many people. Ambulance, police, funeral home, Eric, Edward, Catherine. There were so many preparations that needed to be done, so many flowers that needed to be bought, so much black cloth that needed to be ironed. But first things first, Elmer got his toolbox and grabbed a screwdriver. 
He had to remove all the speakers he installed under the house's wooden floorboards. The End I hope you enjoyed Ellie and Elmer, as written by Lucretia Vistea, and performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's Talents, Paul J. McSorley, Melissa Medina, and Melissa Exelberth. To find out more about author Lucretia Vistea, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Vistea, spelled V-A-S-T-E-A. And you'll be redirected to her author profile on creepypastastories.com, as well as finding a link to her blog, www.cvasiacru.wordpress.com. Voice actor Paul J. McSorley's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary Podcast. You can also keep up with him weekly on his new show, Fear from the Heartland, which debuted just this past Friday. Capture the magic or madness. <laughs> yeah. From the very beginning. And check out his show today. You'll be glad that you did. And after dropping by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Up next, we've got a second, smaller, sinister story for you, written by Mark Taus and performed by Lucas Webley. In it, we'll have a front row seat to a dangerous vehicular game of cat and mouse as two men take part in a car chase, one very much unrequited by one of the drivers. Will they be able to drive to safety in time? Let's find out. Now, without further ado, I present to you Five Years. Five Years by Mark Dutt. 1978. With headlights off and through the rain-lashed windscreen and the blackness of the night, Don didn't see the tree across his side of the road until it was nearly upon him. He put his foot hard on the brake and instinctively yanked the steering wheel, sending the car fishtailing until it spun out from his control. He continued to wrestle with the wheel, but couldn't even see where the road was anymore. Finally, the tire caught the edge of the ditch. As Don braced for impact, he found himself back in his rusty old Ford with Christine, and in the background, the stereo pumping out a tune from their special road trip cassette. A loud crunch catapulted him forwards, and in a blink, the vision disappeared as the seatbelt jolted him back into the darkness again. He unclenched his hands from the steering wheel, switched off the engine, and turned to look over his shoulder. The headlights that had been on him for the last 40 kilometers slowly came to a halt, and the engine quieted to a gentle hum. And then nothing but night. The only sounds Don could hear were the relentless thrashing of the rain and his own labored breathing. He removed his seatbelt and threw open the driver's side door. The smell of the night rushed at him, and the rain felt intensely hard and cold as he began his sprint into darkness. There was no way to know where he was or where he was heading. Initially, 
His only thoughts had been to drive away, his staring at the ceiling insomnia. Now, though, it was simply to get away from the mysterious black vehicle that had already rammed him twice from behind and relentlessly pursued him along rain-drenched roads. For the first time he could remember, he began to cry. Not in fear for his life, but the solitude he felt at that exact moment. There was nobody out there that would care if he was dead or alive. As he ran, Don considered the vehicle that had slammed into him, unidentifiable and black, with tinted windows. It had no plates, and the front of the car sported a huge snarling grill. In blind fear, he had put his foot down and hoped the pursuer would eventually give up the chase. Exhausted, he stopped running and climbed over a barrier into the foliage on the embankment. He used the branches and trunks of trees to traverse down to the bottom and sat behind one of the larger ones. The coldness returned as he watched small wisps of his breath disappear into the void. The rumble of an engine came into earshot, but this time no headlights to give away its location. His hunter had gotten serious now. The games were over. Don nestled into the back of the tree, as though trying to drive his way through the bark. He inhaled deeply and held his breath in case the condensation clouds gave him away. As he heard a car door open, there was a moment of clarity that manifested itself like a kick in the guts. Momentarily, he thought he might vomit and put one hand to his mouth and closed his eyes. As if to validate the epiphany, his mind threw him back into the old Ford again with Christine. With seatbelt off and leaning over the dashboard, she snorted coke, flicked her head back, and smiled, before turning the rearview mirror to herself to wipe the dust from her nose. Christine sprinkled the last of the powder across her wrist and held it out for him. And as Don leaned in, the car drifted lanes and collided with the truck that had been approaching at speed. He could still remember the explosion of noise and the sound of metal on metal as the vehicles momentarily melted together. And then Christine began to fly. Her body was tossed around like a ragdoll as the car flipped over, and shards of glass showered everywhere as her head was sent violently through the windscreen. So vividly, he remembered her dead eyes and her bloody, broken face. The police found a half-empty six-pack on the truck driver's passenger seat. Don told the police the car came out of nowhere and knocked them off the road. It was too easy. The guy was sent down for five years in 75. Perhaps with parole. It must be him. Since Christine died, he had alienated himself from everyone, not feeling worthy or capable of companionship. The guilt and grief had almost devoured him, and every day was an effort. Sometimes, he wished he had told the truth, just for some closure. As he sat behind the tree in his cold and wet clothes, he contemplated how long he could keep running. The guy had been waiting over three years to get his revenge. He wasn't going to let up. But, perhaps if he saw the grief and remorse in his eyes, there might be another way. Hey! He called out. I'm coming up to talk! He scrambled up the side of the embankment and found two shiny black boots waiting for him. 
The silver skull on each tip was the last thing Don saw, as an iron bar smashed into the side of his face. The guy bent down to grip Don's collar and then dragged him along the wet tarmac. He opened the boot of his car and bundled him next to another body. After closing it, he lit a cigarette and drove off into the darkness to find his next victim. I hope you enjoyed Five Years, as written by Mark Taus and voiced by Lucas Webley. Lucas Webley is a commercial and dramatic voice actor from Central England and host of the Simply Scary Podcast Network's Terror Under 10 podcast, in which he also performs lead on all featured stories. Webley's work is featured in a number of video games, such as Atrocity from Cold Furnace Studios, Distant Kingdoms from Orthus Studios, and Overload from Revival Productions. He also provides voices for animated projects, as well as narrations for a number of educational YouTube channels, including Questen and Electric. To find more of Mark Toes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash toes, spelled T-O-W-S-E. And you'll be redirected to his author profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find ways to connect with him and follow him for his latest updates, as well as a link to his work on Amazon.com. By clicking his Amazon link on that profile, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales, where we're proud affiliates of Amazon, and that helps make this show possible. And if you decide to check out Mark's work on Amazon, you won't want to miss his fantastic new novel, Nana. In our featured author's latest magnum opus, you'll meet Ollie and his Nana, a woman by the name of Ivy. Unfortunately for Ollie, it takes more than clean dentures, brandy, and bingo night to keep her happy. Nana lives in New Haven Crescent, where most of the other residents are past their expiry date and all kinds of crazy. It's kind of like the place where you hang your sanity up at the door. Being the matriarchal type, Ivy cares for the other residents as though they were kin. So, of course, it's of enormous concern when their veins begin to blacken and they start shedding their skin, not to mention the glistening things curling out of their hair. They're pushing their luck, and Nana Ivy knows it. Oh, and did I mention she has a dark secret? Young Ollie doesn't know what to make of it when he comes to visit, but he's about to find out there's more to his Nana than cough drops and slippers. Oh, yes, he's in for a long night. So don't delay. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash toes spelled T-O-W-S-E, and pick up your copy of Nana, and let Mark know that me, Steve, and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Knight sent you. It would mean a lot to all of us. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close, but before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode, 
and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host for the evening, Otis Jiry, and as always, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.